Let's give another round of applause for these children. Yes. It's okay, sweetie. You can cry. It's all right. Looking at a lot of these folks, it make anybody cry sometimes. Y'all okay? Y'all had a good time this morning so far? That was some good stuff. Yes. Out of the mouth of babes, out of the mouth of children, they'll praise the Lord Jesus. And thank you, uh, Miss Shuline and the rest of you ladies for, for doing what you do to teach these kids the Word of God. Uh, we're going to look at a message this morning from Psalm chapter 128. And we're normally we go through the book of Luke on Sunday mornings, but I had a time to, to do the children's chapel with all of the kids this week, uh, two sessions of that. And just their responsiveness, we, we told, walked through the story of Jesus and the miracle of, of the five loaves of bread and the two fish and how Jesus for, broke through uh, what normally happens and he, he worked a miracle. And, and just seeing those kids, they were, they were zoned in. Have you ever noticed how children can listen? For a little bit, right? But children actually zone in and they listen, they grab a hold of the truth. And so I, I, I decided to, though I think the Lord led me to change the message and to preach on a different topic this morning, and it's the preeminence of God um, in the family. So if, uh, if you have your Bibles, and uh, go with me to Psalm chapter 128 there in the middle of the Bible just about. And if you didn't bring a Bible, we should have some in the pew there that you can follow along with us. And, and normally what we do here at Rocky Mount Baptist Church after we sing is, uh, is we, we open the Word of God and the Bible, and we believe that this is true. Okay, we believe, and in fact, if you have questions about that, questions about Christianity, we'd love for you to go visit our website, uh, RockyMountBaptistChurch.com. We've got a lot of links on there, everything from is the Bible true to does God exist, and you can go check that out. But what we do is we open up the Bible, we take a passage of Scripture, we read it, and then we walk through it, and we make a bridge of application to how that applies to us today. So let's go ahead and read Psalm chapter 128, beginning there in verse 1. The Bible says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, and your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Verse 6, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Before we study it, I pray, God, that you would just help us to focus and that our hearts would draw near to you and that you would speak. You would change lives. We believe that you can. In Jesus' name, amen. To be preeminent means to be in control. It means to, that God, the preeminence of God, it means that he is over everything. Now notice how the Bible says, blessed is everyone who what? Fears the Lord. Now most of us, we don't have a good uh, connection with fear, right? Most of the time, we fear is a bad thing. If you remember back to when you were a kid, um, that game, Red Rover, Red Rover, ripped the arm off my shoulder, right? Y'all remember that? 
right? Especially you boys, you didn't want to be, you didn't want to be thought of as weak or a sissy and you're there and they, they, they don't, they don't pick the, you know, the run of the litter. They, they pick the tank, right? And they're going to send a, a, him or her all the way across those lines. And you're going to think, well, am I going to let go and be called a weakling or am I going to, am I going to hold on and have my arm dislocated from its socket? Then often with kids, they're afraid of the dark, aren't they? I have to put a light light. Yeah, that's true. I was too. Yeah. You got to put a, put a night light there until they later realize that there's nothing to be afraid of from the dark. And often when we read the Bible and we say, we see this phrase time and time again, the fear of God, we think a lot of negative things. Now, let me just give you very quickly what the fear of God is. The fear of God Often, for the person who's never been changed and saved, born again, radically transformed, there's this eerie sense whenever they talk to a Christian preacher, even see a church building or a steeple or see a Bible or see some you know, t- preacher on TV with a hairstyle about this big, right? Anything associated with God causes an uneasiness, doesn't it? Those of you who are saved, remember back before you were. And how when you heard the name of God or you heard the name of Christ, it wasn't like, yes, it was like distance, right? The bubble. Often unbelievers have a great fear of God in the sense of God's judgment. And that's, gonna, that's a pretty well-rounded fact. That's something that, that is true. The Bible says there's going to be a day that God will judge the world in righteousness. But when it speaks of the fear of God in this sense, well, the person who's been saved and, and forgiven by God and been given a new heart and been born again, it's not so much fearing that the hand of God's judgment will be laid on them, but it's the fear that God's hand of relational love and blessing will be removed from them. Think about you have a good relationship with your father or a coach or someone that you respect, your mother, and how you feared doing something that would cause them to be disappointed in you. That's the sense in which the Bible for the believer speaks of fear. And then some people try to reinvent it. They say, no, 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 what it, what it doesn't mean, it doesn't actually mean fear. It just means respect, right? And we've used this before. Um, the, the country song, I tip my hat to the maker of the stars, right? Like, God, you did a pretty good job. And I know that for sure when I look in the mirror, right? Like those types of, of things that say, you know what, God, I respect you. You know, I've got my way. You've got yours. I respect you, God. Actually, fear, it, it, it means, now a lot, a lot of people try to reinvent the Bible to make it more palatable, more, more user-friendly. But the word fear means this. <clears throat> fear. Y'all okay? Can, can, can we walk through the Bible this morning and not reinvent Now notice it's not an irrational fear, okay? Which often when we fear things, we fear things that once we figure them out, we don't really need to fear them. But the fear of God is not some irrational belief that somehow if I step the wrong way on the concrete, God will somehow judge me above and beyond that. The fear of God is a reverential awe and respect it's like when you, you know, have you ever gone out way out in the country, you know, way out in, in Endicott or somewhere, and you know, where there's, there's not a lot of lights, and, and, and we've got some folks who are close to Endicottites here this morning, and maybe, maybe some of you, that's just a, such a beautiful place when, when you don't have the lights and you can look out and you can see the stars. 
And then the only thing you can say either is wow, or if you're from closer to Virginia Beach, it's something like, dude. You know, it's just like absolute awe and respect. Like that is amazing. Then if you've ever been on a plane, on a flight, maybe overseas, you're on a plane going hundreds of miles for like 40 hours. Have any of you ever been there, right? You're on a plane, you know, and then you get tired and you put your seat back about, about that much. Okay. You know, and then, then you eat food and you're not sure if it is food. And, and then they, the waitress has come through, the flight attendants, and they say, here's you a pretzel, right? And you're like, that's a pretzel for ant size, you know? And, and you think about, okay, I'm traveling hundreds of miles an hour and I'm over this vast ocean. How big does this ocean have to be for me to be traveling hundreds of hours and still be on the plane hours later, you see? And you just sit back and say... Wow, it's absolutely incredible. And, and then you think, the gospel story about how Jesus entered into space-time as a man and lived perfectly. He was tempted in every way and that we, we are. He was, with, he was with 12 dudes all the time. And some of you ladies know when guys get together, the maturity level takes a nosedive. Can I get any witness from the ladies? Right? You say, I left them alone for five minutes and I came back and they were, well, punching each other in the face and laughing. I don't know. I don't understand it. <laughs> if you, you guys have seen the, uh, seen the movie Bloodsport uh, with John, John Claude Van Damme. I know, uh, Pastor, right? Yeah, it, it came on. And, and, and there's a, a lady, she made, she made the statement. I just don't understand why a bunch of guys would want to get together and just beat each other up. You know, and she starts, you know, crying. And he's like, well, that's the whole point of being a dude, right? I punch you, you punch me, we're friends, you know. And so you, you get this, this whole collection of confusion. And, and, and when you think about Jesus with the disciples and being, being tempted, what most of us would be like, you guys are, you guys are dumb, or with the people who, who cussed Jesus out and did everything that they did. Jesus endured all of that and He lived perfectly and He died a substitutionary death by which if we repent and place our faith in Him, we can be saved and born again. Now when that happens and we look at that, that ought to cause us to have a reverential fear and respect of God. You stand up, Jeff, okay, now what does the fear of God actually mean in my life? In other words, what do you do with the fear of God? Well, if we truly fear God, notice verse 1, how this connects together. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. That means honor. That means that God's favor is on you. Notice who walks in His ways. Say, Jeff, how do I know if I fear God? Well, if you obey God. It means if you place Him in preeminence in all of your life. That means to reprioritize your life the way that God says. It says, in the ways of the Lord. Let me give you a few verses in Proverbs that deal with the fear of the Lord that may help you have a little bit better perspective on it. First will be Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord, once again, is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. 
So if you have the fear of God, if it comes to the place to where God so speaks to your heart and your soul, and you say, you know what, Jesus? I'm ready to give you control of my life. Not, not I'm just ready to go to church, but I'm ready to turn it over to you. I'm ready for you to be my Lord and Savior. Then there are four ways in which your family and your life will be absolutely transformed. And notice what the Bible says here in verse 1 and 2. When God has preeminence in your life, He will bless your work. Notice verse 1 and 2. Verse 2 begins, You shall eat of the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. This speaks of God. When you, when you give God honor that is due Him, He will be able to give you the ability to work a job to His glory. Now, hard work is a biblical thing. Amen, church? Remember what the Apostle Paul says? He shall not work. You won't what? You won't eat. And often, I think in America today, we view our jobs, often us guys especially, men, I want you, I want you to go with me on this. Often we even define ourselves by what we do, don't we? Right? I'm Jeff, but I'm Jeff by what I do. And very, very often if we're not careful, what will happen is we will become what some people call a, a work you ever known a workaholic? Some of y'all are like, my son is the polar opposite of a workaholic. I tell him, get up! You know, it's four in the afternoon, okay? To, to be a workaholic, I, I want to talk to you about this for just a few moments. In verse 2, notice again the, the, the phrasing here. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, which means you'll be able to enjoy what you worked for. You'll be able to enjoy what you worked for. You know, often we work ourselves to the point of all that we do is work because we love our work because work gives us the satisfaction that God could. Have you ever been there? Right? You enjoy work. It's a good thing, but it it takes the place of the joy that God would give you. And then it says there in verse 2, you shall be blessed and it will be well with you. That means God's going to guard your mind. Let me give you a text on workaholics, all right? This is in the Bible, Proverbs chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. This is how being a workaholic will damage a family. The Bible says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Anybody here alive back in 2008? Until now? You tried to put some money back and then you're like, where did the plug get pulled on this bad boy? You know, and and then you've got our our good little friend too that's always with us called inflation. Anybody ever met inflation? Okay. You try to put it back and, and the bank gives you, you know, like half a percent of interest. Keep your money. The Bible's saying that work is a good thing. It is a good thing to work and to work hard. But often what can happen is that a workaholic is a fool because the workaholic looks at his work as providing what only God can provide, and that is joy, and that is affection. There was one of my buddies when I was a kid, and we asked him, we said, you know, is your dad going to come you know, to the game, or is your dad going to come watch us play sports? And he says, no. He wasn't mad. He simply said, no. All my dad does, this is just a t- 10-year-old kid, very small. He, he wasn't saying it negative. He was just, you know, kids just say it. You ever known that, right? Kids just say it. 
Some of you are like, oh no, you said what? Well, you and mommy said, I, I, yeah. He said, no, all my dad does is think about his job. Ouch. All my dad does is, is think, about, think about his job. What can happen if we have the wrong view of work, men, is that we can look at work and we can begin to identify ourselves and gain our self-worth from our work instead of for God. And something, sometimes it can even get to the point to where we actually love our work. Like if we weren't married and work was a woman, we would totally take her out. Like if you could talk to your work, your work you'd be like, work, you are looking good today. And then what happens if you're a workaholic, your family begins to feel that they are less important. You say to Jeff, how do I know if I'm a workaholic? If you're a man, there's a very, and you're you're married, all right? It's a very simple answer. Ask your wife. Seriously, seriously. If if you're a man, ask your wife. You say to Jeff, I've got to provide for my family. Let, let, Let me free you up for just a few moments. In the Bible, providing for one's family is the basic need, which throughout the pages of Scripture was food and clothes and probably a place to live. But what the culture has told our men and our women is that you are a L-O-S-E-R if you don't have a bunch of new cars, a new house, a brand new bass boat that can go upwards of 80 miles an hour, even if you don't know how to control the tilt and you're busting across the lake and they're like, that guy's getting ready to flip. But you're like thinking, I'm getting ready to flip. I don't know what I'm doing, but I am new on the scene, baby. I've got a new boat, right? All of that stuff, the culture tells us that you've got to have, 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 have. So we think that we're a loser. In fact, the biblical provision is that you take care of the basic needs of your family. Not if you can go out to try to find every newfangled thing and spoil your kids rotten. I've known some parents and it breaks my heart. They were raised in, in very humble situations. Poor, if you will. And I've heard some people say, I want to give my kids everything that I didn't have. But what they forget to give their kids is what they did have, which is a family which is a family to where dad got up and said, you know what? We're going to study the Bible. I love you. Let's go to church. When you come home, I'm going to throw the ball with your son. I'm going to take time to invest in you. But the culture has told us a lie. And the Bible says that if we prioritize God with being first in every area of our life, that when we actually work, we'll be able to enjoy it. That don't you think that it is the definition of, of pretty dumb to work every single minute of your life being miserable to get something that you never be able to enjoy to impress people that you don't really like? But that's our culture. So I'm encouraging you to rethink that. This is a personal question. You say, Jeff, I don't know if I, I don't know if I have the fear of God. I don't, I don't know if my work has gotten, gotten mixed up in priorities. Here's a question. Are your affections, your joy, what really gets you up and going, are, is that tied to your job? Or is that rooted in the one who gives you a job to work? 
And if it's not, ultimately, if your joy is not in God who gives us men and women the brains and the bodies to be able to do anything, then we're going to come up short and it will lead to absolute disillusionment. And that's where you find people in the third world looking at us who actually have houses and have a car, even if it's old, and seeing that we're depressed. It's because we've bought a lie that can never be fulfilled that says you've got to keep up with... I've never met... I've never, I don't know where the phrase comes from, but to keep up with the Joneses. But I hope that the Joneses get saved, right? Amen? Right? And they can begin to follow Christ and we can stop trying to compete like a couple little boys on the school uh, school back, backyard. Okay, now here's, here's the other aspect. You're saying, Jeff, okay, hard work, but what's the flip side? Laziness. Now let me give you a couple of And this is actually funny from the Bible. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 24. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. That's lazy. He's not even using a spoon, bro. Like he's like, he's like, I've got my oatmeal there and I'm just going to spoon five feet away, hand, boom, hungry. But that means hand would have to come back to the mouth. That is pretty lazy. In our context, maybe an example of laziness is because, you know, you watch three hours of WWF because the remote was all the way across the room, right? I mean, the point of being lazy. Let me give you another one. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 13. The sluggard says, I love this. Let's talk about getting a job. Uh, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. What? That's like, you know, the, the dude that, 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 that refuses to work and he's still, he's still mooching off mom and dad. Okay? And they're like, you need to go get a job. It's like, I, I, there's a lion in the street. There's not any jobs. This isn't a very, let me say this. We're in a very tough time. Has anybody here noticed that we're in a tough time economically? Anybody in the house? Little tough. There are, there are godly, hardworking men who, who strive to provide for their families. I'm not speaking of that when I make this statement. But if you've got somebody, especially a dude who's in your, in your life and, and he keeps on wanting to simply mooch, um, there's a Bible verse. And when I say this, it's in the context of actually helping him. He who does not work does not eat. Now, we, we give away money here to help people. We give to ministries who, who take care of food. We want to help people. But at the end of the day, a lot of the hardworking men are tired of a lot of the men who don't want to work making excuses on why they can't. Fearing God has to do with when He says work, you work, but it's to the glory of God. So secondly, when you fear God, He's going to bless your marriage. Notice verse 3. It says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, and your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Now this is a Hebrew picture of everything blossoming, being good. Uh, The Bible says also in John chapter 15, remember when Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches? If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear forth much fruit. Man, this is such an amazing thing that when you fear God and you place Him in a priority in your life, it can be something like this. You know, you say, uh, right, let's say, take for example, you don't pray in your family, alright? Never, maybe sometime, the repeated prayer uh, over a meal, but you, be, you feel convicted. So you know what, I need to begin to lead my family in this. And even if you're a single parent, here, here's what you do. Just tell your family, say, look, I don't really know how to do this, but we're just going to take the Bible and we're going to begin to study it 
Just read it, and then we're going to pray. We're going to start off that way. Because when you give God the priority, what happens, especially from the guys, is that He will move through you. And there's not probably a woman here who does not desire to be led spiritually by her husbands. And it is an amazing thing to see a family that once was broken and once was fractured and dysfunctional. And then when Jesus gets a hold of the mom or the dad or the kid, they begin to follow Christ. And then what used to be just something like off of cops begins something like, this is amazing. These people love each other. And there's true relationships. It's not just around things that we can do in sports and interests and movies, but it's around the things that really matter. It's an amazing thing. God says your life will be blessed. And also the Bible says there in verses 3 through 5 that God will bless your children when you begin to actually fear God. Now at this point, um, somebody says, now Jeff, we know that you've never been married. We've heard that you're a single preacher. So who on God's green earth are you to tell me how to run my family? We're not going to have a show of hands on how many of you have thought that up to this point. Like that dude does not have a clue. I pray that God gives him whatever he gets married. If he does, quintuplets. And when they're all two, then he'll preach a sermon on the family, right? Change that around to help me God. Instead of the preeminence of God in the context of family relationships, right? Okay. I would never try to tell you to do something based upon my own authority. Okay? And I think those of us who've been here for what we kind of, that's when we take the Bible, all right? Amen, church? Take the Bible and what we, what we say comes from here. That's why I do this. It's not just a movement, but it's to direct you to the authority. I'm not the authority. The, the, the text of Scripture is, is the authority. I've got to say it. There was some there was some advice. I probably shouldn't. I'm just going to say it. There was some advice given to me by by Mr. Bumgarner a while back, and you know, in regards to marriage. And some of you know, he said, well, "What you need to do is just get you a bunch of women and start filling that house up with some kids." And I'm like, "Oh Lord!" And those of you who know Mr. B, he's in his 90s, and sometimes he just lets it rip, and he had a smile on his face. So just those of you who have no sense of humor, he was saying that in context of a joke, all right? We all good? Because there's always going to be one two. I can't believe that. We need to call a business meeting. <laughs> well, you call it, and we'll videotape it, all right? And put it on YouTube and laugh at you. So when the Bible speaks of the family, it always refers to the authority of God that, that often moves through the man and then it spreads to the family. Now, let me explain very quickly what that does not mean. It does not mean that women do not have a place of spiritual interaction within the family. But often, the way that the dad goes, especially for the sons, they follow. Don't they? More or less. So God, time and time again, calls us men to take the initiative, to put ourselves out there and do what a lot of us guys don't like to do, and that's simply to be vulnerable. And I pray that one day, if and when God gives me a family, I'll be willing to do that. And my dad was not raised in a Christian family. Some of you know that. He was raised in a, in a very poor situation. He said always growing up, there was screaming and fighting and uh, my granddad and grandma were talking about divorce. He said he remembers going to sleep just fearing that that would actually happen. But when my dad got saved, 
He made the decision that I want to try to lead my family to follow Christ. Now, my dad is far from perfect. In fact, we're very, very, very different. I enjoy a lot doing a lot of the things that he doesn't enjoy doing and vice versa. But one thing that I remember from growing up is that my dad, we, he, he, he would get us up in the morning. It was so early. I hated it. He called it. That's one of the things that when parents do things to like try to lead their children to follow Christ, they give them these names that the kids always remember. It was called a wisdom search. Like a 6, 7 a.m. wisdom search. I'm like, I want to be searching for some sleep right now, Dad, you know? And, and, and my dad has this, he has this, this we always call it the, the Ted Koppel style of hair, right? Like the big, huge comb over. When he would get up in the morning, he didn't have any hairspray. So my brother Justin would come up right behind him and kind of like grab it like that. And he'd like have a foot and a foot and a half tall faux hawk, you know, going on. So they're reading the Bible in the morning. And I remember sometimes he'd be so tired doing that. But one thing I remember, I don't don't know if I remember any of the lessons in particular, but what I remember is that my dad cares about the Word of God. And he cares about it enough to care where I go when I die. Let me tell you what. That means more than if my dad had brought home a gigantic paycheck and said, son, pick out any car on the lot. I want to be very clear about what I'm saying. My dad cared. He cared. He gave a rip about whether I would go to heaven or hell for all eternity. Are you guys tracking with me? Just the fact of, of doing that. And then what really made the impression is that he, was, he went to a Christian seminar about, uh, about relationships and asking forgiveness. And the hardest seven words in the English language are, I was wrong. Doesn't that just grate on you? Any non-hypocrites here this morning that will give me a nod of the head, right? Doesn't that just grate on you? I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And there were, my dad began to practice that. And I remember many times growing up when he would discipline in anger, when he would get mad, yell, um, sometimes, you know, a little harsh, get mad at my mom, be rude. He'd come back and he'd say, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I want to tell you that makes an impression. That makes an impression because what it tells and what it says is that he cares about his family. So not only will God bless your work, will he bless your spouse, but he'll bless your children, he'll bless your spiritual life. Notice, go, go back very quickly in, in Psalm 127. This is an amazing metaphor that ties directly in to how God will bless your family when you begin to fear him and follow him. Psalm chapter 127 The Bible says in verse 3, Behold, which means look, spotlight. Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. Man, I love that. You know what this tells us? Men and women, parents and grandchildren, and grand, yeah, grandchildren, grandparents, is that we are in a war. Y'all know that church? 
There is a war and Satan hates your family. He hates your marriage. He hates you. He wants to destroy it. He wants to keep you distracted. But I pray that God continues, as we've seen here in Rocky Mount Baptist Church, to raise up families and young couples who say, you know what, I've made mistakes in the past. I've not feared God. In fact, I think I've probably been an absolute failure. But today, I'm going to begin to follow Him. And what God will do in your life is He will slowly, but He will raise your children up, even if they're grown and you go back and say, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Your dad and your mom is starting all their day. Even if they're old, even if they're grown and they have jobs, God will begin to reform your family so that when Satan comes against you, you'll be able to say, bring it on because I've got plenty of arrows and they're sharp. And I will not back down. I will not be afraid to, to, to simply tell them that I was wrong. And I will not be ashamed to stand up for the gospel. And I want you to be very, uh, understand this. Never, 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 never underestimate speaking the word of God to a child. When you, even if it's the smallest verse, even if it's you encouraging them to learn, Never underestimate the power of when that seed of God's Word becomes implanted in that child's heart and then when it becomes full fruit. Who knows? God may send your child one day to do an incredible thing across the world. Or it may be that God uses your child to get you saved. Child or grandparent. There's a... um, a drama called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames that our, our church did when I was a teenager. And, um, and there was this one scene to where it was a dad and then his son, who was about 12. And they're, they're driving along, got the spotlight and the sound system going. And, and the dad is just saying, son, you did such a great job at the basketball game. You scored 20 points. I'm going to give you 20 bucks. If you do it again next week, I'll double it. And they're just they're having like dad and son time. And then the subject of the gospel came up and the dad says, well, son, it's fine if you want to go to church with your mom, but that's really kind of for women and kids. Which, by the way, is not true. It takes a real man to admit he's wrong. Cowards run and give excuses. Real men stand up and say, you know what? I was wrong, but today I'm standing up for Christ and I will not back down. That's the difference. And then he said, you just go ahead and, and, and do that. But, but when you get older, you want to, you know, become a man. And the little boy said, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. And then the, then the lights cut out and they had the sounds of a crash. And the next thing it came on, there were angels standing. There was a whole stage set up. And it was like they were there at the gates of heaven and hell. They said, is my name written in the book, the Lamb's book of life, which the Bible speaks about that contains all the names of those who will be saved and go to heaven. And the man asked and they said, no. And he began to freak out. He said, well, what about my son? Well, he's got to be there. He's only a boy. And then, and it's really, really freaky almost. The Satan character came out and looked at the dad and said in this gravelly voice, Dad, I want to be just like you. But I pray that God will begin to raise up even more fathers, fathers to say, you know what? Today, I'm committing to be like Christ.